Jen, we have been waiting to talk about this topic for a long time. Yep, and we now have an exceptionally good reason to dig in. Yes, in honor of Vice President Kamala Harris, as well as the many extraordinary women leaders we're surrounded by, we will be talking about glass ceilings. Today we're talking about busting through barriers and the work that is still left to be done. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. What do we have, Jen? <laughs> We've got this Pear Collins cocktail. And talking about this sent us on to a whole conversation about pears and how delicious they are. Mm-hmm. Pears are like this delicious, wintry, sweet fruit. It's underrated, and we should definitely change that. The pear syrup is so good. The cocktail is not sweet and not citrusy, making it just right for the Goldilocks of the world. Yeah, so you have this gin, which always is a good sign, and the pears to make sure that we can turn those into some syrupy bits. Lemon juice, honey, water, and a little fresh thyme, which is really nice on top. So definitely check this one out. I always feel like I love um, a cocktail that's garnished with thyme. It's always just like a little surprising note at the end. That's true. That's a good point. Well, what's not surprising is that we still have a lot of work to be done when it comes to glass ceilings, but we're, we're making big steps forward, it seems like, especially in this year of, and I, and I think it's really started in the um, in 2018 when we had so many more women um, elected to Congress. But I feel like this year in particular with the election of um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that um, we're making big steps forward. But here's the deal. There are big gaps, right? Because women have outnumbered men on college campuses since the 80s. And, and so given that, and we, and we, and women outnumber men um, in graduate level, like by 60 to 40, right? So, but we still have this gap, this disparity where women are not represented equally um, given those facts. In fact, most fields, top leadership positions remain stuck at 5 to 20%. Yeah, it's really, really stark when you look at like the Fortune 500 companies, how few of the CEOs, what, only 38 CEOs out of the Fortune 500 are female, mm-hmm. um, which blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And the numbers are even worse if you're looking at women of color. There just isn't representation at those highest levels yet, um, no matter how hard we try. So it makes me wonder, how long is it going to take to get there? Yeah. I mean, even in our industries, women are underrepresented. And um you know, whether you're looking at producers, directors, writers, cinematographers, or editors, um, women make up only 18% of that population. Yeah. And in the creative industries, only about a quarter of creative directors are women. And, you know, when you think about, when you think about these things, so we're, we've got all these statistics of only, only a quarter of creative directors are women, only this, only that, but you have to understand that that then, um, builds a framework for all the young women who are in the organization or whether young women are hired or not, or whether they're mentored appropriately at the same level. So so this leadership at the top really does matter. And we're seeing progress. And this year we're seeing really big progress, which is great. But I'm, I'm curious to see how long it will take until that gets to every nook and cranny. Well, and speaking of every nook and cranny, cranny the gap is widening. So you've got some women at the very, very top in the most influential leadership positions. But that doesn't mean that there's women all the way out throughout the organization. So those are things to look at. And so that gap even widens. And then when you look at the United States and its position in the international community, given how educated women are in America, 
um, it was something like the World Economic Forum uh, Global Gender Gap Index of 144 countries. Uh, America ranked 19th in women's economic participation and opportunity, but 96th in women's political empowerment. So we're glad that this is starting to, again, with that big step forward with Vice President Harris, um, take a big step forward. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, what you were pretty much talking about is the pipeline, right? So if there aren't women up and coming in every level of an organization, then it becomes harder and harder to fill those leadership roles. And 2020 was such a hit because you saw way more women stepping out of their work roles to manage a home when things went curfewy. And I'm curious about what will we be seeing the results of that for the next five years or 10 years or 15 years mm-hmm. of that broken pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we'll have to have an economic turnaround in order for those pipelines to be refilled. I would imagine in many cases when women are leaving, in many cases depending on the industry, but when women are leaving, I'm I'm thinking because of the economy, those those jobs are going away. So you're right. I think that I think the pipeline has to grow before it gets filled again. Let's talk for a minute though. So you mentioned that only 18% of producers and directors and writers were women in your or in your industry. And and I do perceive that when you look at people behind the camera, you see a lot of men. So have what have you experienced over the course of time as a woman in your industry? Have you always felt like it was an easy walk onto the set and off again? Or is it a little more complicated than that? When I first got out of college and I was um I was gripping. Uh, so I was, you know, lifting and hoisting heavy lights. I was um, developing strategy with people on set for how grip and electric worked. And I would come on set and um, with my kit and people would assume, usually if I was stepping on set in Detroit, people would assume that I was with the makeup and uh, makeup or styling um, team and that they would direct me in that way. And then I'd pull, put on my tool belt um, with my, with my leatherman or, you know, and they would, and I'd have leather gloves with me and it's like, oh, so she's okay. And, you know, I weighed 115 pounds and was not, you know, barely five foot tall. So I didn't look like a grip, not to mention the fact that my gender didn't align with any of the grips. And there, I was the only grip ever on set. Um, but as I, uh, moved through the different departments, um, I still was either perceived as somebody's, um, assistant when I would show up at meetings for pre-production or, um, so it took a long time for me to, uh, understand how to appropriately assert my professionalism. Um, that took a long time that it just, it's about being green and not, you know, shedding your greenness as a professional. But, um, yeah, as a, as a director, I'm, I continue to be among the minority. It's funny because both of you and I have been studio owners for quite some time. So, I sort of forget that you're in the minority in your industry, and I forget that I'm in the minority in my industry. It feels so natural and it feels so normal, but when you do stop and look around, you're like a unicorn. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but um, you know, I knew I had made it when people stopped asking me if I needed to run something by somebody else in order to move forward with a decision. Right. Well, congratulations for making it, I suppose. Or just being bossy enough to be able to make decisions. I don't know. (laughs) I will say, you know, early in my career, I worked at an agency that um, the entire creative power was male. Male creative director, two, two male art directors, male senior copywriter, 
And at the time I was quite young and I didn't really realize at the beginning what that meant or, or how that would look. And it, it took me a couple of years and don't get me wrong, delightful people. I learned quite a bit. Um, I would never change that experience for not having had it because I felt like I got to be mentored by a lot of really great creatives. But after two or three years, I started to observe how the agency had remained primarily male in the creative space and how ideas were discounted or the default was toward looking for a male to solve a problem, looking for a male to put in the role. And I know that that was that was super frustrating and it's a lot of what led me to starting my own agency because I didn't feel like I had the opportunity in a space that was so male dominated. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it then, but looking back at it now I go, Oh, I see how that worked. Yeah. I wonder if we took a poll of uh, women, small business owners that are among our network, how, how many women would say that, that that is true for them as well? Probably quite a few, I think. In fact, I couldn't find the statistic before we before we um, recorded, but I read a really great article a few years ago about the proliferation of small female-led creative shops because the larger places just didn't have support or pipeline for women, and women were shut out at the at the very top of the creative industry. So rather than being shut out and being stuck, you go start your own thing, which is kind of fun. Yeah, but it's it's interesting when you look at norms that we have in our society, whether it's the way our economy was established and set up, whether it's the our social norms around uh, how households operate or how households commonly operate, um, you know, those were all developed with women excluded. And so what's funny is that as women continue to be more educated and and um, and try to find our place in, in, uh, in the professional society. It's almost as if in order to make a real bust through this glass ceiling, we almost have to relook at how some of those norms are set up and shift those paradigms. That sounds like a lot of work. Isn't this done already? I thought our, I thought our parents did this in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Like not wearing bras and stuff. No, I think this is way bigger than that. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's so interesting to me because looking at those statistics you quoted earlier about the number of women who are getting professional degrees and who are in education, you would think that by now we would be seeing some more results of pay equity and women in leadership and women in government. But it's just started. So is this a is it a two or three generation shift? Is it a 50-year cycle? How long does it take? You know, I, I thought it was really interesting, especially when I looked at different sectors and where women, how women were underrepresented. Like if you close your eyes and I say, picture a teacher, what gender would you picture? A female, for sure, right. a woman. Because K-12 right now is at least my experience with my family. But in in higher education, only 30% of college presidents are women and only 32% of professors are women. So there's just this very, like, but why? Why would that look so different? Um, the old boys network is strong and healthy and we're just not seeing it. Is that why? Yeah. Is it a lack of confidence? Is it that as women, we don't think we're ready? We take longer to decide to go for it? Um, you know, it's funny that you say that because I do think that there's a psychological difference between men and women. 
right? Just the way that our brains are wired. And we've talked about whether it's confidence or we've talked often about preparedness, right? A woman says that she's prepared when she's 100% prepared. And there are studies that show that a man is prepared at about 80%. Like I can go for it. I'm 80% there. Um, Whether that's a good enough thing or uh, whether that's confidence or whether that's testosterone, I don't know. Um, But I think some of that could play a role. Well, you had told a story earlier about when you wanted to be a pilot Hmm. and when you were a small child and you literally could not have been, right? Yep. I had, (laughs) uh, when I was in uh, early elementary, I had, uh, well, like, you know, fourth, fifth grade, I had uh, a poster of the Blue Angels on my door along with like puppies and Ralph Macchio or Rick, you know. Ricky Schroeder. And I really wanted to be a, a pilot when I grew up. And my brother um, so helpfully pointed out that it was impossible because I was a girl. No, girls couldn't be pilots. And um, around the time in high school, it, even though it wasn't um, a job I wanted, um, by the time I was in high school, my my you know my creativity had gotten kind of focused and I kind of knew what I wanted to do. And uh, once women could become pilots, Uh, my brother circled back and reminded me that because I had glasses, I would never be a pilot anyway. So brothers are so helpful. Dang. Thanks, brother. But the point is that it was until you were in high school that women were even allowed in the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like to point out too, when you, when you look at uh, any technology driven industry for women, we are just now graduating from high school and have kids, women in college who have experienced a full uh, 13 years of STEAM education, right? And there's lots of programming around women in STEAM, right? So you're not going to have that body of women see women engineer professors, see women physics professors at the same rate so that they can't see themselves in it. So again, I had one professor in college that was a woman, um, only one, only one in my field. And so you have to be able to graduate a full generation of women in technology to then have women in technology education. Which takes time. It takes time. It takes time for them to grow up. So do you think we've gotten to the point where we still need programmatic trainings and systems in organizations to help women succeed? Or are the doors open enough and have the ceilings at least been cracked so someone can break through? Uh, I remember in Hillary Clinton's concession speech, she said, even though it wasn't enough to break through this glass ceiling, at least there's 18 million cracks in it. And so um, I think we just have to continue to um, find those cracks. I think in every sector, we need to have um, a demonstration of women leadership. And I think that um, the work that's been done, for example, women serving in government is incredibly low and it's only changed in the last two years. We're making big growth changes, right? So whether that was the women who were elected to Congress in uh, 2018, uh, having the first woman of color on the vice presidential ticket, you have to be able to see that that's possible in order to envision it for yourself. What was the government? Like women represent only 24% of Congress and that's with a big win in 2018. Only nine of them are women of color. Yeah, it's incredibly low. I mean, it's, and it's funny because you see a lot of it in the news, right? So when you look at news coverage of Congress, we see quite a bit about these women. We see Nancy Pelosi, we see the squad of four. Here in Michigan, we have a 
phenomenal slate of women leading leading our state, right? So so you see the representation more than the representation actually exists. And so I yeah. think that, that well, and I think it's something like eighteen percent of governors yeah. are women. Yeah, and and so they they make news because something that's unique makes news, but that doesn't mean that we have enough representation yet. And so that's a challenge, I think. And I also think you know there's a whole conversation to be had about women being held to a different standard. That's maybe not the same as a glass ceiling, but the expectation that women have to do things differently or perform even at an even greater level in order to be considered as a serious contender is a whole other ball of wax. Yeah. Well, and then I think it's about that there's still, speaking of expectation changes, there's still an expectation or a norm that women are still the the runners of the household, right? And so you're really balancing two full-time jobs as you uh, seek to um, succeed. So Karen, I think what we've learned today is we've still got some work to do. This is a great achievement that we've got with our wonderful new vice president, but we're not done. We're not done. And I think too, it's about kind of like our last episode where April talked about people who had helped develop her. It's about once you're, once you have more people below you than above you, looking and seeing what you can do for other other women and develop those programs or develop that leadership track or just develop that person um, so that they're able to achieve what they want, that that's part of our responsibility as female leaders. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that she said the last episode was sometimes you don't want the work that is in front of you, um, but it is your responsibility to take the work that is in front of you and do it for other people. So I think that's such a good message and that applies here as well. So we can get all of those glass ceilings out of the way. Absolutely. It's not about you. (laughs) Want to contribute to our conversation? Reach out to us on social media at Easy Underground or head over to our website, thespeakeasypodcast.com. Next time, we're going to dive into the notion of credibility. What traits make a professional credible? Those you lead have to want to be led and believe in who they follow. Credibility is that foundation. Join us next time as we talk about it. Cheers. Cheers.